Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. In the things that I am engaged in, I'm actually willing to put my life at, at, at risk. And I think it's, it makes me feel uh, much more uh, uh, complete. What's up, freaks and geeks? Welcome to another Oddcast featuring me. I'm your odd man out. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with me once again and listen to me rant on. And this time, this week, this episode, I've got another special one for you. It's going to be a doozy. I'm going to bring you a deep dive, an Oddcast dive on none other than one of the most prolific, influential humans in the modern era, and that is none other than George Soros. Now, I know that conservatives have kind of ran that name into the ground. You've been hearing it for 25 years or more, but as I said on one of the other shows recently, I feel like they don't often go deeply into Soros. They look up a few of the most popular NGOs like the Tides Foundation or Color of Change. They may mention the Open Society from time to time, but they really don't talk a lot about how influential he really is globally and how his NGOs always end up where these governments are overthrown in these other countries. And we talked about that in the Whose War Is It Anyways series, which inspired me to do a whole show on George Soros and his network. So I'm going to attempt to do a deep dive down the rabbit hole farther than you've heard before on Mr. Soros. I think that a lot of people are very scared to do a deep dive on him. He's ruined, I think, 
some careers along his way. He nearly ruined Glenn Beck's career. And so I think that it's very important to talk about this guy and his network, which is very much like the Council on Foreign Relations network that Quigley warned us of or at least told us about. I think he's capitalized on that idea, taking some ideas from the Rockefellers with his philanthropic groups, and used that to control policies and influence events, very important events. So I'm going to do my best to bring you a deep dive on him and hopefully bring you some information you're not aware of or at least not too up-to-date on, and we'll see at the end what you think. You'll decide for yourselves, is he an evil man, a good man, or somewhere in the middle? So without any further ado, let's get right into this show. When the Nazis occupied Budapest in 1944, George Soros' father was a successful lawyer. He lived on an island in the Danube and liked to commute to work in a rowboat. But knowing there were problems ahead for the Jews, he decided to split his family up. He bought them forged papers, and he bribed a government official to take 14-year-old George Soros in and swear that he was his Christian godson. But survival carried a heavy price tag. While hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews were being shipped off to the death camps, George Soros accompanied his phony godfather on his appointed rounds confiscating property from the Jews. You're a Hungarian Jew who escaped the Holocaust Mm -hmm. by posing as a a Christian. Right. And you watched lots of people get shipped off to the death camps. Right. I was 14 years old. And I would say that that's when my character was made. In what way? That one should think ahead, one should understand and, and anticipate events, uh, and uh, one, one is threatened. It was a tremendous threat of evil. I mean, it was a, a very personal experience of evil. My understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property yes. from the Jews. That's right. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child you don't, you don't see the connection, uh, but it, was, it created no, no problem at all. No feeling of guilt? No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go. I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. Well, uh, of course, I could, uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there, because uh, that was... Uh, uh, well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would would, would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So the, I had no role in taking away that property. 
So I had no sense of guilt. Well, there is the million dollar quote, and I wanted to play it in its entirety because a lot of times back in the day when people would play this, and even still today, they don't include the entire clip, which I think is unfair. Don't get me wrong. I am no fan of him, but I think that everyone should have what they say in the full quotes because you can manipulate anything by editing it. So he was 14 years old in Germany during World War II or pre-World War II when they were doing these things to the Jews, okay? And he was Jewish. Now people say that he was a Nazi because of this. And I think that is unfair to say. Obviously he wasn't officially a Nazi, but for him to say that he has no guilt, I do think is nearly impossible. Even at 14, I was very aware of what was right and wrong. And when you consider something so horrific, I mean, of course, I never had to encounter something like that. But I would imagine that most people would have a feeling of guilt and sorrow for that, but you really need to watch the video to see his face. He really looks as if he's telling the truth when he says he has no guilt. And in the part where he talks about, if I weren't doing it, someone else would be doing it. It's like the markets. It, you can see that idea. It's almost like you can see the light bulb pop up over his head when he says that. He thinks it's extremely clever to say that, and he starts smiling. But I don't think that's any type of excuse for the markets, especially talking about a grown man who is willing to manipulate the markets regardless of who it might hurt. So while I don't believe he was a Nazi, he certainly was there, even as a 14-year-old. And I would assume he should have some guilt about that. And it wouldn't be hard for him to say, yes, I do looking back, feel somewhat guilty about that, and I feel bad for those people. But anyway, that is the quote in its entirety, and you can kind of make up your own mind about it. Let's move on. And by the way, I want to say this is a pretty interesting interview. Uh, you don't hear hard-hitting interviews like this very often anymore, so let's look a little bit deeper. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? No. Soros told us he believes God was created by man, not the other way around, which may be why he thinks he can smooth out the world's imperfection. Like Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, and the Rockefellers, he amassed billions through ruthless business decisions. He can move world financial markets simply by voicing an opinion or destabilize a government by buying and selling its currency. But now George Soros is worried. He thinks the global economy is coming apart at the seams and that the world needs to be protected from people like George Soros. We may now think that everything is fine, but the fact is that the system is broke and it needs fixing. What you're doing is, is asking uh, some form of regulation to protect the world against you. Well, I am a player, and I think all players should be regulated. There have to be rules of the game. Right now, his quantum group hedge fund moves $14 billion of rich investors' money around the world every day looking for profits and answering to no one. Soros makes huge bets on whole countries and economies, 
Last year, when he saw cracks in the Asia boom, he began selling the currency in Thailand. Traders in Hong Kong followed suit, triggering a financial crisis that plunged much of Asia into a depression. In the last two years, you've been blamed for financial collapse of Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, and Russia. Yeah, all, of the, all of the above. That's, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. Soros says the Asian currencies would have collapsed even if he hadn't been in the market. They were overvalued. He says people tend to follow his lead because he's been so successful. I think that uh, I've been blamed, blamed for everything. I am basically there to, uh, to make money. I cannot and do not look at the social consequences of, of what I do. Soros wrote a letter to the Financial Times of London saying he thought the Russian currency should be devalued by as much as 25%. A few words from Soros were enough to cause panic selling that fueled the crash. What's it like to have a statement that you make have such serious, grievous consequences? I mean, you can... It, it looks to me like in a number of situations you can take a position against a currency or make a statement and the whole country falls apart. Well, it's a tremendous sense of responsibility, actually. Uh, and, it, and it's also a humbling experience because I am actually trying to uh, do the right thing and sometimes what I do uh, has an unintended negative consequence. <laughs> Last month, he brought the First Lady with him for a look at some of the projects his foundation is funding. This is Mr. George Soros, and uh, he's going to be helping the hospital. At the center of George Soros, there's an inherent contradiction. Which is? Which is, on one hand, uh, you're, the, you're the capitalist who does not care about the social consequences of his act, and on the other hand, you are a philanthropist who cares only about social consequences. Which George Soros am I talking to now, the amoral George Soros or the, the moral George Soros? Uh, it's one person. It's one person who at one time engages in amoral activities and at the rest of the time tries to be moral. Whether I or somebody else uh, does whatever is happening in the markets really doesn't make any difference to the outcome. I don't feel guilty because I'm engaged in an amoral activity which is not meant to have anything to do with guilt. Kind of interesting. You know, George Soros is the premier progressive, premier liberal, but his statements there really typify what most progressives and liberals would say is capitalist thinking when it comes to business practices and how there's no sense of guilt for the consequences of his transactions and the things that he implements through his business and his NGOs and whatnot. And I think that we can imply that no guilt to perhaps his part in the overthrow of these different governments overseas and in other countries. Because if you are so sure of yourself and you have no guilt and you've told yourself that you shouldn't have any guilt, you don't care about the consequences as long as you get what you want to get done. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that he is outright funding people specifically in order to have them do violence, but certainly the things that he funds, the things that he bankrolls as far as programs and these colleges, these classes, scholarships, and whatnot, they're what we call in the modern day progressive, you know, the LGBTQ, the um, gender studies, a lot of stuff that 
he's really focusing on as far as race goes to try and I think turn the people against one another. I don't think that there really is a lot of programs that I see that is really encouraging people to get along and to love one another and to realize that we're all stuck in this world and the elites don't care if we're black, white, red, green, yellow, whatever. It's all about the elites. And you see that they don't care any more about whites than they do any other colors when you see how quickly they will start these wars and do not care how many, regardless of color, men and women now are just cannon fodder for them to be able to make tons of money and get more power through their different imperialist tactics and whatnot. So anyway, that's neither here nor there, but let's look into some more of his statements on how he kind of conducts himself as far as his business goes. Part of the reason he is so rich is that the Soros hedge funds operate offshore in the Netherlands Antilles to avoid scrutiny by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So even while Soros tells Congress and the Treasury that hedge funds must be regulated to stop the global crisis, he's avoiding the rules. Why is it that, uh, that Americans can't invest in the quantum fund? It's an offshore fund. Why is that? Because a fund is not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, so so uh, uh, we, we are not... Licensed to do business in the United States. That's right. Because? Be, because we are not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We, 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 because we, we find it more convenient to operate without it. So in some ways it's to escape regulation. Yeah, that's right. So he wants to regulate when it's convenient for him, but he doesn't want to regulate when it's not convenient for him. So you see the Jekyll and Hyde kind of Soros there. But when you have that much money, of course, you can say whatever you want to say. And he's gotten away with it all these years. And you think back to the Panama Papers and more recently the Pandora Papers that we've talked about with Ukraine and whatnot. And so... I think that uh, this kind of thing goes on all the time. But again, he is the epitome of progressive, yet he is also a tax dodger. So, you know, make of it what you will. Now, like most episodes, I'm not going to be going in any certain sequence because that's just too organized for me, and I'm not an organized person. But I'm going to go to a little bit of Glenn Beck. And I know, I know. You're like, not Glenn Beck, but look, he was the first, not the first, but he was the guy who really took his critique of Soros to the mainstream on Fox and then was really right after that dismissed, fired, whatever from Fox. So I think that he's got some really interesting stuff to say, and he actually has legitimacy on this subject because he was one of the premier shows at Fox and probably the main reason that he was let go was his shows talking about Soros and kind of exposing how his network worked in politics. So let's listen to a little bit of Glenn Beck on a couple different shows here. 
Fox has touched off a firestorm of criticism after an appearance by Newt Gingrich on one of their shows. Fox News Channel is being accused of censoring criticism of the left-wing extremist and Democrat socialist financier George Soros after this exchange went viral on social media. Pro-criminal and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money, and they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George Soros into this. <laughs> I was going to say you get the last word, he Speaker. He paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions no, of he dollars didn't. he spent? I, I agree with Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Okay, so it's verboten. All right. Powerful voices, folks, have weighed in on this. Dick Morris told Newsmax TV that he was shocked by that video you just saw. Bill O'Reilly confirmed that a "thou shalt speak no ill of Soros" doctrine exists over there at Fox. And talk show host and former Fox star Glenn Beck said this. I will tell you that George Soros is not to be discussed. It is verboten. Uh, you know, when I got down to the end, one of the things at Fox News, they were starting to tell me, I can't talk about things. I just talk about this. Stop talking about that. One of them was God. One of them was mm -hmm. Israel. And the other one was George Soros. How can you be an honest reporter if you won't report the fact, the reported fact, that what Newt Gingrich said is absolutely true? This is why he is so off limits, because what is being done to our country, his fingerprints are all over it. So George Soros, in some of the things that I find the most disturbing, um, come from interviews that he did, you can find online in 60 Minutes, where he talks about his desire to change the world and experiment with things, experiment with democracies and experiment with people. He has caused chaos and chaos in markets and collapsed markets uh, around the world. He's not welcome in I think three different countries uh, he is an enemy of the state in three different countries he was just kicked out of Russia I think Ukraine uh, is thinking about it Georgia I believe just did it um, but that wasn't for actually collapsing them that's because they knew what kind of influence he has when he was asked about these things he's so nonchalant about it at least back then 60 minutes interviewed him he said it's kind of fun and i know people get hurt or you know people have their lives upended but it's really kind of fun and i i feel almost as though he is uh, almost so disconnected from reality, it's almost sociopathic. Um, he wants to do what he wants to do, and that is create civil society 2.0, which is what I believe he's trying to do here in the United States. He, we exposed it in Ukraine. That's what the impeachment was all about. And what he does is he gobbles up the law enforcement, he gobbles up the attorney generals, he gobbles up the district attorneys. If he can't change it in Washington or in the capital of that country, he changes it by going in and controlling who's prosecuted and who's not. 
Then through his organizations, he begins to uh, siphon money off of the um, off of the country, and puts his people in charge. That's what he was doing in Ukraine. That's what he's doing here in America right now. Newt Gingrich the other night on Fox News, they said um, about uh, Soros said, "Oh, we we best not talk about him." It, it, I, I, I remember those conversations where you're not supposed to talk about George Soros. Is there any doubt in your mind that George Soros has his fingerprints on the upheaval we're seeing in liberal cities across this across this country? Well, zero. He, he is funding through several organizations um, the, the riots and the people that are rioting in the streets through several organizations. Well, there you heard from Glenn Beck about his time at Fox and how he was basically told... Soros is off limits. Don't talk about him. But there's a little bit more to that as well. And right there at the end, you know, he was talking about how Soros funds these agitators. And I want to play a little clip from Soros quickly, and then we'll get back to finishing up Glenn Beck's comments. But Soros is being interviewed by Charlie Rose, and he says that he holds Saul Alinsky in very high regard. And of course, Saul Alinsky was the author behind Rules for Radicals, and he was really the guy from the Frankfurt School who taught how to become a community agitator and how to shake up the status quo and governments, etc. And he has good elements and bad elements. Certainly governments do need wake-up calls from time to time and need overhauls, and certainly ours does, but I don't believe that the way that they go about it really really helps anything. In fact, I think it just makes the case for more authoritarianism. So anyway, listen to this quick clip, and then we'll get back to Glenn Beck and finish up. Kavlinsky is someone you admire very much for his economic ideas. Well, altogether, I I have a great respect for him because he's one man who actually stands by his ideas. He's really remained, uh, uh, let's say, clean in a society where very few people have been able to. Um, There's absolutely no question. We could show you the documentation. I have shown the documentation on air. Okay. All right. Well, I want to turn to Harris Faulkner, uh, who she was the one who didn't cut off Newt Gingrich on their program there on Fox. She issued an apology. I want to take a look at that. Go ahead, guys. Our guest, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, who is beloved, and needed to be allowed to speak with the openness and respect that the show is all about, was interrupted. Do we debate with fire here? Yes. But we must also give each other the space to express ourselves. As the only original member of the six-year-old amazing daytime ride known as Outnumbered, I especially want to rock and roll with every voice and perspective at the table. We don't censor on this show. Mm-hmm. Okay, so D- Dick Morris has come out and said he was astounded by this video. Uh, Bill O'Reilly has come out and said, yeah, there, there is a rule there at Fox, thou shalt speak no ill of George Soros. What can you absolutely. tell us? Is there a rule there at Fox? I can tell you absolutely there is a rule at Fox. Um, remember, George Soros spent a million dollars of his own money to build the very first smear campaign office one uh, for that ran 24 hours a day. That's all documented. You can read about it in Cheryl Atkinson's book. You, you can Google that and you'd probably find that. Um, 
when I was at Fox, I've often told the story, but up until this week, I haven't attached the rest of the details to the story, but I've often told the story of being in Roger Ailes' office, and he said to me at one point, you know what your problem is? And I said, no, I'm anxious to hear. He said, you won't play the game. He said, look, we all, we, we play a game. He said, do you think I didn't know Al Sharpton was going to, you know, protest in front of uh, Don Imus's studios? Of course I did. And he needed a pound of flesh. He calls me before, gets a pound of flesh. Then when I need a pound of flesh, I go do something against him. And then we all have dinner at night. And I was so disgusted by that. And I said, I don't want to, it's not a game to me. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, but that conversation was about George Soros. Stop, stop with the George Soros stuff. He is friends with everybody. He's friends, I'm sure, with Murdoch. That's, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm sure they have some sort of business arrangement. And they make money on everything that they do. Um, and George Soros has a lock uh, because he can destroy you. He, he, his number two guy met with my number two guy and called and said, Mr. Soros has a, a message and would like to have a conversation uh, with, uh, with you, the, the number two guy in my company. Um, and so they agreed to have lunch in public and it was nothing but a threat. They had lunch. He, the first thing that was said by the Soros representative was, your boss is hurting my boss, and it's going to stop. Um, the last thing he said was, I don't think you understand. The ship has sailed, and you're either on the ship or you're not. And my guy said, my boss, I don't even have to ask him, is not wanting to be on that ship. And the ship that I believe wow. he was talking about is the ship that is we're now seeing, where this Marxist revolutionary ship that is folding right into the World Economics Great Reset, folding right into Event 201, all of those things, that's the ship that was sailing. And everybody has to decide now, are you on the ship or not? Well, the odd man gets seasick, so I can't be on your ship, Mr. Soros. <laughs> okay, so you heard all that. Sorry for the long clips, but I thought that they really were solid and they really conveyed what I was trying to get across here. So let's look a little bit at the Open Society Foundation. There's a lot that we can do there. You could do three or four episodes just on the Open Society Foundation or even more. I was looking this morning through the donations that they make to all these different organizations, and it took me probably 10 minutes just to go through the A's in alphabetical order there. One thing I noticed was, well, they're a big funder of the Carnegie Endowment and the Carnegie organizations, but also they gave like, I think it was 150, 200,000 to the supposedly libertarian Cato Institute back in 2020. So, you know, he's not opposed to funding both sides to get whatever he wants, to get the influence he wants. And just like the Koch brothers, I believe they fund the World Affairs Council, if I'm not mistaken, or actually, no, maybe it's the Chicago Council on World Affairs. Anyway, these guys will fund both sides to get the influence. It's all about the influence, the sphere of influence. So we're going to look a little bit at the Open Societies Foundation. And I wanted to say that 
I've noticed just trying to do this research over the years, I've run into many, many videos and many articles on George Soros. And you can still find quite a few articles that show him in a somewhat negative light. But the videos are getting harder and harder to find. So even the Glenn Beck classic videos are pretty hard to find. And even when you do find them, they're grainy and the sound quality is not that good. But really, there's not a lot of good quotes in there anyway, I don't think. So I've just noticed like looking into that, it's been a lot harder than I thought. Now, I actually picked up Matt Palumbo's book on Soros called The Man Behind the Curtain. It's a new book, I think came out in like January. I didn't even know who Matt Palumbo was. I just read that there was a book. And from what I could tell, this is basically the first book that's really been a comprehensive book and included many of the organizations he funds. So I think that's important because that information needs to be put all together. And he has done that. So I've read most of that book. I'll probably finish it up tonight. I've got some stuff from F. William Ingdahl and a few comments from Peter Schweizer's Secret Empire and a few other books that I've been able to find a little bit. I got this book about the Carlisle Group, which I guess Dick Cheney kind of made famous and George W. Bush. And during uh, 9-11, when that was happening, George W. Bush and Shafiq bin Laden were having a meeting with the Carlisle Group in New York, I believe. I believe it was New York. I could be wrong, but on the day of 9-11. And somehow George Herbert Walker Bush was able to fly out of there. But uh, they have a long-standing relationship. And guess who put the Carlisle Group on the map? It was George Soros, and we'll read about that in a little bit. So funny how these supposed left-wing, supposed right-wing guys find themselves in the same circle at the top. So let's check out, this is from Gravitas News. You might have seen some of their videos. I believe it's out of India. And it's pretty sad that you have to actually find a source in another country that has good quality, good information on a subject. But really, it was the most comprehensive clip I could find on the Open Society Foundations as far as having some critique of them and not just being a bunch of propaganda either way. So they've actually done some pretty good videos, and I'm sure they have their own biases. I know that India has had a real problem, like Hungary, with the Open Society Foundation and George Soros. How is this done? Through the Open Society Foundation, a name inspired from a 1945 book, The Open Society and Its Enemies. This body is headquartered in New York and has active programs in more than 60 countries. This group gives major grants to organizations and parties that are aligned with its mission and objectives. Basically, anybody who seeks to shake up the status quo. In Israel, the only democracy in West Asia, the list of grantees of the OSF include a number of Israeli NGOs that deny the legitimacy of Israel. In Palestine, OSF funds NGOs like the Al-Haq and Palestinian Center for Human Rights, both of which are associated with the Popular Front, an outfit designated as a terrorist organization by the US, the EU, Canada, and Israel. What would you call George Soros then? A political activist? 
Why not? In September 2012, he donated $1 million to a political action committee led by Barack Obama. In 2016, he was the biggest donor to the Hillary Clinton campaign, giving almost $8 million. The move was met with a lot of criticism. He said it himself on many occasions. He said, what I have done in other countries in terms of overturning uh, bad governments, I'm going to do in this country. Our country needs us, and we need people like George Soros, who is fearless and willing to step up when it counts. Nearly half of your financial sector donations appear to come from just two wealthy financiers, George Soros and Donald Sussman, for a total of about $10 million. You have said that there's no quid pro quo involved. But is that also true of the donations that wealthy Republicans give to Republican candidates, contributors including the Koch brothers? I can't speak for the Koch brothers. You're referring to a super PAC that we don't coordinate with that was set up to support President Obama that has now decided they want to support me. They are the ones who should respond to any questions. Let's talk about our campaigns. He also donated 400,000 pounds to anti-Brexit groups opposing Britain's exit from the European Union but favored Germany leaving the EU back in 2013. He's a man of convictions and contradictions. In June 2018, Hungary, which happens to be his native country, passed a law dedicated to this man. It's called the Stop Soros Law, aimed at ending OSF funding to organizations that support illegal entry of undocumented migrants. The OSF calls this law authoritarian. Hungary says it is only safeguarding national security. Now here's the thing, promoting and funding reform in a system is one thing, but undermining a nation's sovereignty by influencing decisions is quite another. George Soros and the OSF seek to liberate the world from ideas they consider outdated and restraining. They want to change political realities that are not suitable to their principles. Take their activism in India, for example. In January 2020, Soros unveiled a plan to set up a $1 billion fund to build a global network of higher educational institutions. Institutions that will help students put up a resistance against growing nationalism. He singled out several countries and their leaders. India was one of them. He called India a Hindu nationalist state, which is suffering the biggest and most frightening setback. The biggest and most frightening setback occurred in India, where the democratically elected Narendra Modi created a Hindu nationalist state. This was last year. This year, a scandal hit India, the Pegasus Project. It suggested that the government of India was spying on its citizens. The report had a list of 300-odd Indians. Who was behind this project? 17 media organizations and two global entities, Amnesty International and Forbidden Stories. They're both beneficiaries of grants and funds from the Open Society Foundation. In 2018, Amnesty received a 137,000 euro grant from the OSF for a campaign to repeal a law Ireland had passed. In June 2021, just a month before the Pegasus report came out, Open Society Foundation named the former Secretary General of Amnesty as its Vice President for Global Affairs. Then we have Forbidden Stories. It has been proven to receive funds from the U.S. State Department. And guess 
Who do they feature as a supporter on their website? The Open Society Foundation. Here's something else that you must know. Sherpa, a French NGO, which is a persistent litigator in India's Rafale deal with France, has also been a recipient of indirect funds from the OSF through a third party. Simply put, a revolving door spins between these NGOs and the offices of George Soros. The same goes for media organizations involved in this project. The Media Research Center, an American media watchdog established in 1987, says 30 American news organizations have links to George Soros and most of them were part of the Pegasus project. The project itself is under investigation in many countries. At some point, India too will have to specify its position on surveillance and clear the air on whether it uses softwares like Pegasus. In the meantime, can this nexus between news organizations and George Soros be ignored? So the Open Society Foundation website says Open Society Foundations, or the OSF, works in more than 100 countries to build vibrant democracies with governments that are accountable to their citizens. OSF seeks to strengthen the rule of law, respect for human rights, and civil society to help keep government power in check. The Open Society Foundation were founded by George Soros, one of the foremost philanthropists who since 1984 has given 30 2 billion, that is 32, as in Master Mason in the Scottish Rite billion, of personal fortune made in the financial markets. That's from their website, of course. I hate to read from the Book of Knowledge, but uh, Wikipedia says open society. This comes from a term coined by French philosopher Henry Bergson in 1932 and describes a dynamic system inclined to moral universalism. Bergson contrasted an open society with what he called a closed society, a closed system of law, morality, or religion. It is static like a closed mind. Bergson suggested that if all traces of civilization were to disappear, the instincts of the closed society for including or excluding others would remain. The idea of an open society was further developed during World War II by the Austrian-born British philosopher Karl Popper. Popper saw it as a historical continuation of reaching from the organic, tribal, or closed society through the open society, marked by a critical attitude to tradition to the abstract or depersonalized society, lacking all face-to-face -face interaction and transactions. Now, Karl Popper has a book on the open society, which you see a lot in regards to Soros and where he got his influence from as far as his open society foundation goes. They say, what do we do? The open society foundations are active in more than 120 countries around the world, our national and regional foundations and thematic programs give thousands of grants every year towards building inclusive and vibrant democracies. Our vision is a call for change, change in the way we think about others and in the ways we work together, change now more pressing than ever amid the challenges of COVID-19 and the pandemic, of course. So let's look at a few other organizations that Soros and the Open Society helps fund. The Atlantic Council, which we've talked about, which some say is NATO's think tank, but it works hand-in-hand -hand with NATO, and the Pentagon. 
Chatham House we've mentioned, which is the English version of the Council on Foreign Relations. And also Alex and George are still members of the Council on Foreign Relations. Alex is his son and seems to be the heir to the throne. Let's see, the Center for a New American Security. He funds that, and I think Newland may have even started that one, Victoria Newland, who's connected to Ukraine in many, many different ways. The Open Society funds scholarships at the London School of Economics and Social Sciences. We talked about that school, that college, on the Fabian Society episodes. And we know that George Soros went to the London School of Economics, and that's probably another reason why he has these socialist leanings. And they established a forum for civil society practitioners and grassroots community advocates in Europe with the London School of Economics. The Open Society hosts meetings on NATO, EU, and the SCO towards rules of engagement. The Open Society hosts think tank strategies. Let's see. Here's another one. How Soros' Open Society and Microsoft invest in the Council of Europe and the United Nations. We have here from the Open Society Institute that George Soros created the European Council on Foreign Relations. There is OSIWA, O-S-I-W-A, Open Society Initiative for West Africa. Open Society chooses German Council on Foreign Relations member Daniela Schwarzer as Executive Director for Europe and Asia. We've got Open Society funding the Brookings Institute. I think we talked about the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Open Society funds the Victor Pinchuk Foundation. There is the Open Society European Policy Institute, OSEPI. There's the Open Society Armenia, OSF. Open Society helps fund the Ford Foundation, and they teamed up here a couple of years ago. Ford Foundation and Open Society Initiative for West Africa, and they launched a new fund there in West Africa. The Open Society Foundations, Ford Foundation, and Atlantic Philanthropies announced the launch of a joint fund to support local organization promoting and advancing constitutionalism in Africa. Open Society helps fund UNICEF. The Open Society in 2017 in their Open Philanthropy is funding solar radiation management under the Solar Radiation Management Governance Initiative. In 2008, he donated approximately 750000 to J Street, the American liberal Israel lobby. Here's an article from Variety.com. Vice Media, $250 million in debt to George Soros. There's another group that we're going to talk about eventually. It's the International Crisis Group. On November 17th of 1994, the Carnegie Endowment publicly announces a concerted effort to consider the launching of a new international crisis group with three main functions, assessment, advice, and advocacy. George Soros' Open Society Institute provides 200000 to finance the continued planning activities. George and Alexander are on the board of the international crisis group. They also help fund the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. This is from the World Socialist website. I think this is pretty interesting. Patrice Cullors of Black Lives Matter is the director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. This organization also receives funding from the Open Society Foundation. One of these founders, Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matter, 
runs an organization called the National Domestic Workers Alliance, on whose board sits Alta Starr. Starr oversees a fund at the Ford Foundation. She's also on the Open Society Foundation's Southern Initiative. A leaked document from an October 2015 board meeting of the Soros-funded U.S. program's Open Society revealed that the organization provided $650,000 to invest in the technical assistance and support for the groups at the core of the burgeoning Black Lives Matter movement. The document notes that the board planned to discuss the difficulty of dealing with a decentralized movement, what happens when you want to throw a lot of money at a moment, but there isn't any place for it to go. It was also raised that the Soros name could discredit Black Lives Matter if the public became aware of his financial support. We mentioned Center for a New American Century. Julie McCarthy is a non-resident fellow in the Center for Sustainable Development housed within the Global Economy and Development Program of the Brookings Institute. She was the founding director of Open Society's Foundation Economic Justice Program, a $100 million per annum global grant-making and impact investment program. F. William Ingdahl has a little bit of insight on how the Soros Foundation early on began to work its way into the Soviet Union after the fall. He says, The Soros Foundation established the Stephen Battery Foundation in Warsaw in 1988 to train activists to ultimately topple the communist regime. They played a major role in, quote, building democracy, unquote, and immediately after the collapse in Poland of the government of General Czeslaw Kizak in August of 1989. Soros brought Harvard University shock therapy economist Jeffrey Sachs into Poland to push privatization of state enterprises, create a hyperinflation, and open choice Polish state assets for auction to Western investors like friends of Soros for pennies on the dollar. So I just wanted to uh, mention this in my reading because Soros gets credit for being anti-communist. But it seems to me like he really wasn't anti-communist per se because he's got quite a few of his allies and his confidants in his Open Societies Foundation and other NGOs that he funds that are very communist-like in their social thinking. So I think what it was, he, like a lot of these investors and big business tycoons connected to Will Soros, the CFR, and all those guys, they couldn't wait to get into the Soviet Union and into these former Soviet blocs and buy up real estate and buy up their businesses and privatize many of the businesses there. And they were able to do that, like F. William Ingdahl says, for pennies on the dollar. And that's what you see a lot of times when we go into these countries, NATO goes into these countries, and afterwards, you know, we've mentioned before, like the likes of Wesley Clark in Kosovo and Madeleine Albright in Kosovo after the war going in there and buying up real estate for cheap. So that's one of the benefits of being an insider. And so just because these Soros foundations seem to be against communism doesn't necessarily mean they were against and are against many of the things that communists believe in. Matt Palumbo has a quote in his book, 
from journalist Neil Clark on Soros that I thought would fit perfectly in this episode. He says, the sad conclusion is that for all his liberal quoting of Karl Popper, Soros deems a society open, not if it respects human rights and basic freedoms, but if it is open for him and his associates to make money. And indeed, Soros has made money in every country he has helped to prize open. In Kosovo, for example, he has invested $50 million in an attempt to gain control of the Trepka mine complex, where there are vast reserves of gold, silver, lead, and other minerals estimated to be worth in the region of $5 billion. He thus copied a pattern he has deployed to great effect over the whole of Eastern Europe of advocating shock therapy and economic reform, then swooping in with his associates to buy valuable state assets at knockdown prices. But then Palumbo says on the next page, Soros's initial meddling was in anti-communist activities, but he now says that he considers market fundamentalism and America itself to be greater threats than Marxism because Marxism has been discredited. Amusingly, the only people who don't seem to agree that Marxism has been discredited are the exact kind of leftist ideologues that Soros funds and employs. Soros outlined his plans after the collapse of communism in underwriting democracy. Pointing to two major projects, I believe Underwriting Democracy is one of Soros's books. I think he has around 16 books or so. Pointing to two major projects, the creation of a central European university and the creation of an international network for the placement of East and Central European candidates as trainees in Western firms. Soros approached the Hungarian government about setting up a foundation in 1984, which they approved. By the end of the 1980s, he'd established foundations in China, the USSR, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Bulgaria. In the 1990s, he directed his focus to Romania and Ukraine. Then he gets into how Soros worked with the Clinton administration, and namely Strobe Talbot, who became the Russian policy czar under Clinton. He's got a quote from Talbot who said in The New Yorker in 1995, I would say that his foreign policy is not identical to the foreign policy of the U.S. government, but it's compatible with it. It's like working with a friendly, allied, independent entity, if not a government. We tried to synchronize our approach to the former communist countries with Germany, France, and Great Britain, and with George Soros. And then he says he went on to describe Soros as a national resource, indeed a national treasure. And he's got a quote by Ann Williamson who says, The Clintons welcomed Soros with open arms. Soros performed services for the Clintons and in return received wide latitude for his business ventures in the former Soviet bloc. Soros not only expanded his fortune under Bill and Hillary, but he also fit in with their counterculture zeitgeist. And then he says in a PBS interview in 1995, Soros says, I like to influence policy. I was not able to do that under the George H.W. Bush administration, but now I think I have succeeded with my influence. I do now have a great success in the Clinton administration. There is no question about this. We actually work together as a team. Well, on that note, I think it's time to end this episode. Unbelievable. It's been right at an hour. 
So thank you guys so much for taking the time to check this out. Of course, you can probably tell it's way too deep a subject not to do maybe one or two more episodes on. I got a ton of information. We're going to get into more in detail some of the organizations that George Soros funds. You know, we touched on that a little bit, but there's so many. And we're going to get into specifics as well. We're going to tie this all in into Ukraine because he's had a huge pivotal influence there in Ukraine. And after all, that's what inspired me to do this episode is finding out his involvement in that whole thing. So thank you for hanging with me. And I hope that I brought you some information maybe you weren't aware of or at least haven't thought about in a while. So I promise to get a little bit deeper on the next episode. And thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me. Now, I want to thank the people who make this show happen. That's my awesome patrons. I want to thank Abdullah, James, Bill, Peterson, Kevin, Chris, Rooster, Flat, Dark, and Earthy, Mr. John William Brisson. Please check out his We've Read the Documents YouTube page. And thank you, John, for posting some of my shows on that awesome page. Thank you to Greg, Kilowatt, Sir Tim of the Tunnels, Aaron, David, Jack Allen from Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. Please check out his podcast and his YouTube page as well. And last but certainly not least, thank you to James. If you'd like to become a contributing member to the Oddcast, a supporter, a producer, if you will, then please go to patreon.com forward slash the odd man out and check out your options on there. And I really appreciate all you guys for sharing the show and telling people about the show. Please continue to do that. And if you get a chance, rate the show on whatever platform you're listening to this on. I can't wait to bring you the next episode. Now I want to thank Alternate Current Radio. Please go on alternatecurrentradio.com and check out their new website. It's fantastic. And please consider helping them out as well financially. They do such a great job over there with multiple talk radio shows and music shows as well. It's completely uncensored. They gave me a voice. They supported my podcast when barely anybody listened to it. They put it up on alternate current radio, brought me into the fold. I get to talk to them once a week on their awesome flagship show, The Boiler Room. So please, like I said, get over to alternatecurrentradio.com. Check out all their shows and support them if you can. Thank you also to FringeRadioNetwork.com for posting the show up there. Check them out and all their great shows. And I hope to talk to you soon. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. Dream with me of a shining gleam of daylight. Over darkened glimpse of midnight, of a chance to survive. Scream with me when the reaper comes a calling, when the cold rain is falling, when a youth has passed us by. Evil may rip us to pieces while we sleep. Cancer may rob us of our May cause our hearts not to beat. But on going, our souls will survive. On going, our souls will survive.
survive Dream with me Of a peace that lasts forever Of a love to leave me never Of a sacred paradise Scream with me In the hopeless heart of terror When escape not in your favor When it's our turn to Bye.